We are coming to a close of our study of 2 Timothy. This is the last and long series of messages covering the entire book. As we look at these last three verses, the temptation is just to skip over them and to move on. In fact, that's often what is done with these particular verses of Scripture. But this very book teaches us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So all Scripture is useful. All Scripture is valuable. All Scripture is profitable. But having said that, I would submit to you that not all Scripture is equally profitable or useful. I'm sure you have favorite verses of the Bible that mean a great deal to you, that you have put to memory verses of encouragement, maybe verses that you wanted to have at ready hand in order to share the gospel with someone. Those are very useful verses. Romans 3.23, for all sin comes short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3.16, a favorite by almost all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then there are those personal verses of encouragement or help, such as 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well, I would submit to you these are probably three verses that none of you have memorized. Uh, They are probably uh, not the first verses that you're going to think about when you're sharing your faith. Nor are they verses that you meditate upon when you are in deep distress and you go to the Word of God for comfort. In fact, you may ask the question, why are these verses here? Why do we even spend time in studying these portions of the Word of God? Well, I am committed to preaching the Word of God verse by verse as we work through portions of Scripture. And I'm committed to not skipping any particular portion of Scripture. That is not a desire to be novel or to look for the... uh, hidden secrets or meanings in in verses. Uh, We're not going to try to spiritualize these verses and make them to be something other than what they are. We find in the Word of God that doctrine matters. It matters what we believe. It matters how we understand God, who He is. It matters how we're to live, what what we're to do, the work that we're to, to enter into. Uh, Some people have talked about orthodoxy, right belief, orthopraxy, right practice, right belief. Uh, And today, we look at the aspect here that that people matter too, and that you can't take people out of the equation. Uh, As I look at these three verses, we could have, and perhaps even should have, uh, linked them with the verses that go before, uh, as we just preached on a, a number of names last week. But uh, this is a paragraph. This is actually a a distinct segment from what proceeds. So I decided to to handle it on its own. And as we look at this passage, the first thing I note is that Paul sends his regards to those who are near and dear to him. 2 Timothy 4.19, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. So we begin by looking at this couple here called Prisca and Aquila, 
but um, other places referred to as, as Priscilla and Aquila. As we take a brief look at their lives, we find out, according to Acts 18, verse 2, that uh, Aquila is a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. So here we find out that, that they are where they are because of the result of persecution. Persecution for their faith. And while there, they encounter an individual named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And we read in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and sent sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. We find out in the word of God that he went to stay with Priscilla and Aquila because they were tent makers. And Paul also was a tent maker by trade, and so he joined up with them for business purposes. Out of that has come the terminology for missionaries that support themselves. We refer to them as tent makers. Uh, it comes from this particular portion of scripture where Paul had made a living for himself by making tents along with Priscilla and Aquila. So here Paul is sending greetings to people he knows very well and also has, has worked with. For we find that they leave with Paul when uh, he is traveling in Acts 18, verse 26. So they become co-laborers with the Apostle Paul. The unique aspect of this greeting, I suppose, is the reference to Prisca as opposed to Priscilla. Uh, mentioned uh, uh, six times, I believe, in the scriptures. In the narrative accounts, Priscilla is always referred to as Priscilla. There are three references in the epistles where Paul just sends greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. And in the three epistles where he just sends greetings, he refers to her as Prisca. Prisca. Prisca is, a, is an abbreviated form of Priscilla. It's not really a nickname, but it's an abbreviation. Like, my name is Calvin. A lot of people call me Cal. It's an abbreviated form. But those people who call me Cal are people that, that know me pretty well, people that are familiar with me, uh, people that I have a relationship to. So this is an endearing reference of Paul to, to Prisca and Aquila. These are people that are dear to him, important to him, that he is far more than on a first name basis, but he's intimate with. And he encourages Timothy to greet them, and obviously Timothy knows them very well also. Another observation is that he says, greet Prisca and Aquila, in the five times that this couple is mentioned, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned in that order. Once it's Aquila and Priscilla, but it's usually it's Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla being the wife and uh, Aquila being the husband. There could be many different reasons as to, to why that particular order but I would submit to you one of the reasons for the particular order is because of their, their work together, 
Okay? When you think of them as a couple, and you do, because they're always mentioned together, <laughs> they are always together, they are working together, they're serving together, a close-knit couple, but, but when you find them, they are uh, extending hospitality. They are having people in their home. They are ministering to the saints. Uh, Paul begins by working with them. <laughs> he ends up living with them. And it's obvious that they, they use their, their house, they use their gifts of hospitality as a way of ministering to others and furthering the work of God. Ministering to others and furthering the work of God. For we find that Aquila and Priscilla uh, encounter Apollos. Apollos is an individual that comes to serve in Ephesus. He is a person that is described as mighty in the scriptures. Uh, he is eloquent. Yeah, he's a person who knows the Old Testament well, but yet did not understand about the Holy Spirit and some of the more intricate aspects of the faith. Acts 18, verse 26 says this. He, that is Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Not in a public setting, not in a show of, of great pomp, uh, not trying to belittle or in any way uh, draw attention to themselves, but they, but they took him aside and says, just explain to him the way of God more accurately. The way of God more accurately. So here are two people who have come to understand the truth of the word of God, are able to convey it, and use their hospitality, use their house as a way of entertaining Christians and using that opportunity to share their understanding of the gospel with others. It's a tremendous joy and benefit to have people of a spirit of hospitality. People that see their home as being a way to encourage others and to further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such people are noteworthy and they are of great value and they mean a great deal to the Apostle Paul. And so I think we should see here that, that great value and seek to emulate that we might be people of hospitality and uh, seek ways that we can minister through simply having people over for dinner and uh, sometimes uh, providing people a place to stay and live. The second group of people that are mentioned in this particular verse are people that are of the household our family of Onesphorus. For it says in verse 19, and the household of Onesphorus. Onesphorus has already been mentioned in 
2 Timothy chapter 1, if you turn back to verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 1 tells us this. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus. Why? For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. I, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Now it says, may the Lord, may he find mercy of the Lord on that day. It's the day of judgment. It's the day of reckoning. And most commentators have taken from that that Onesphorus has died. And Paul is simply saying, may God reward him on that great day when rewards are given. And may he be remembered for the work that he did. He's dead and gone. But Paul remembers the household of Onesphorus. This family is, is still known by their husband, their father. This family still is viewed in light of the work of the husband and the father. Uh, we should appreciate the family of those that have died and uh, gone into the presence of the Lord, knowing that they are going to receive their reward, and, and knowing the place of esteem that we are to have for such family members, and also the concern that we are to show. Uh, that. Onesphorus is remembered, and his work is remembered. Uh, I wasn't going to do this, but uh, I don't usually try to make personal applications, but it, I think it's obvious to most of us, uh, as we, we think of the Althouse family, that, that Bruce has just died. He was an elder in the church. This would be that kind of greeting. Greeting to the Althouse family. Uh, greeting to, to those that, that are left. Remember the commitment of Bruce. Remember the influence. Remember the loss. Hold that in regard. This is a very personal ending to the letter. He's singling out individuals. And it is only in that light that I did it because we are at times to single out individuals and recognize needs that are present, recognize things that they have done, Recognize their value, their worth. Uh, we often pray for individuals uh, in prayer time, but rarely do it in uh, an open service in terms of, of a message. But here we see the appropriateness of that. Here we see the value of that. Here we see the importance of it. Um, the family needs to be remembered. Secondly, Paul provides Timothy with an update on how and what people are doing. Here are two brothers that had been traveling with Paul and no longer are, in verse 20. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Now, Erastus stayed behind willingly and purposefully. There was a reason for it says that he remained, okay? So he stayed. But this word is teaching us that there was a reason that he stayed. There was a, a purpose for which he stayed. Now, we don't know exactly what that purpose or reason was. It doesn't tell us specifically, but it, but it tells us that he remained there. And Erastus 
is mentioned two other places in the scripture. Erastus is not a common name to us, but it was a common name in the culture. It would be similar to our John. So as you read Erastus, we cannot necessarily say that the Erastuses we find elsewhere in the scripture are the same individual. But as we read about these other Erastuses or the same Erastus, we find out that Erastus is a co-worker of Timothy in Acts 19.22, and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus. So if this is the same person, he'd been a co-worker with Timothy, and the two of them had been sent out together, just the two of them. So here'd be an individual that'd be close to Timothy that he would know well. The second Erastus is mentioned in Romans chapter 16, verse 23, and it says this, Gaius, who is host to me, and to the whole church, greet you, Erastus, the city treasurer. So here we find that there is an Erastus in Corinth who takes on a public obligation and responsibility. He's the, he's the city treasurer. Uh, this is a political position that he holds. Now we at least have a correlation of the city. This Erastus that's the city treasurer is in Corinth and Erastus remains in Corinth. Can we say definitively they're the same individual? No. But there's a likelihood that they are. And if that's the case, that's very interesting. For it means that, that he has remained behind in, in order to take on this political duty and responsibility. But it's not mentioned in the text that that's the case. So there, there's no uh, sense that this person has done anything wrong or inappropriate, uh, but rather purposeful, meaningful, that there was a reason for his to stay. And if that's the case, then we can deduce that, that there are many avenues in service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think certainly that is true. Okay? As we, we think about prop, promoting the gospel, as, as we think about uh, touching our community, as we think about influencing lives, there are many ways that, that we can influence. Uh, we, we shouldn't just think of quote-unquote full-time Christian workers. Uh, we need to move far beyond that and, and realize that each and every one of us is called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us in the responsibilities that we live out day by day are to be touching people's lives to the glory of God and the furtherance of the kingdom. We are to use whatever influence and opportunities there are for service to do good to our fellow mankind. You know, uh, it's a blessing to a community to have a treasurer that's honest. So many of that day were corrupt. What a blessing to the city of Corinth that they have this godly, individual who's serving as treasurer, okay? There are many ways that our community is blessed as a result of godly people who are Christian businessmen, Christian teachers, Christian salesmen, and you could put that in appellation in front of so many different job opportunities and vocations. 
nurses, doctors, you name it. And we have this opportunity to serve the Lord and to promote his glory and to bring unity in the body of Christ. So Erastus is remembered. The, the other individual that is informed of is Trophimus, who Paul says, I left ill at Miletus. Trophimus is also a co-worker of Timothy, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 4. Uh, Trophimus was an Ephesian, according to Acts 11.29, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. Now remember, Timothy is at Ephesus when this letter is being written. So Timothy is at Ephesus, and the letter comes to Ephesus concerning an Ephesian, Trophimus, who's at Miletus, and he is sick. So I submit to you that this information is more than just for Timothy, but it's for the, the church that is present there. Here is one of their number. Here is one that they know well. He's at Miletus, sick. Miletus is about 35 miles from the city of Ephesus. So 35 miles away, here is this person who is sick. Now, again, without trying to spiritualize and, and trying to make applications that, that really don't arise out of the situation, there, there are two things that come to mind. First is the limited knowledge of the Apostle Paul. This teaches us uh, important things about, about inspiration of Scripture. Okay? Uh, God reveals truth to Timothy, uh, excuse me, to Paul. Uh, Paul receives visions repeatedly in the Word of God. Paul is able to communicate truth. But that doesn't mean that Paul knows all things. That doesn't mean that Paul is aware of every circumstance. That doesn't mean that, that Paul is given supernatural insights and powers of understanding. There is this ability to write the word of God, which is under the inspiration of the scripture, which is under the inspiration of God, but it's limited. For he says nothing about his condition. He said, I left him at Miletus sick. What about now? What happened to him? Is he still sick? Did he die? What happened? We don't know. Because presumably Paul doesn't know. He's in prison. He's miles away. He knows what condition is when he left, but now? I don't know. That, but that's the update. That's what he knows. That he left Trophimus there at Miletus sick. The second thought that comes to mind again, speaking about the limitations, is one might ask the question, why didn't Paul just heal Trophimus? We see so many times in the scripture that, that Paul is healing individuals, even to the place where you know, he's passing out handkerchiefs and healing individuals. Uh, why doesn't he heal Trophimus? For he says, I left him. Okay? Uh, he was unable to, to continue on. Uh, he was too sick to accompany Paul. Why didn't he heal? We don't know. But I would just point out to you 
that he didn't. He didn't. And so we can at least extrapolate from that that it's not God's will that everyone was going to be miraculously healed by the Apostle Paul. Again, it shows limitations. There, again, it shows purposefulness that God had in the, the miracles and the works that, that Paul did. But here he left Trophimus ill. Others send their regards to Timothy. Eubulus sends greetings. I'm now in verse 21. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. These four people, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, and Claudia, are not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. We don't know anything about them whatsoever. Obviously, Timothy did. These are people that meant something to him, but not to us. So that teaches us that these were not quote-unquote noteworthy individuals. These, these were not people that, that were well-known. These were not church leaders. These were not names that the masses recognized. These were, in relative terms, insignificant individuals. But you find out that they're not insignificant. You don't have to do great and mighty things to be important to God or important to God's people. He sends their greetings. And then, lastly, it says, and all the brothers, all the brothers. This refers to the Christians that are present in Rome. All the Christians greet you. Not mentioned by name, but clumped together in a group. And I would submit to you, these are those that Timothy would not know. Uh, all those that he knew personally are mentioned by name. So now we move into the people that are Christians that, that he doesn't know, that came to know Christ uh, apart from his work, apart from his ministry. But they're brothers in the Lord. And they send greetings. God's people should be important to us because they're God's people. God's people should be important to us because they're doing the work of God. You know, we, we pray for missionaries. Well, we prayed for Laura Robinson this morning. Now, she's been to our church, but I imagine there's many of you who don't know her. Uh, she would mean nothing to you if, if uh, you saw her on the street. You wouldn't stop and say, hi, Laura. You, would, you wouldn't know who she is. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't pray for her. That doesn't mean that she can't be important to us. That doesn't mean that just because I do not have an intimate personal relationship with her, that her life or her ministry is irrelevant to us. Uh, we should be concerned about all our brothers and sisters in Christ and the work that they are doing. Once again, Paul says to Timothy, do your best to come before winter. Uh, we saw that earlier he had said to Timothy, uh, come very soon, make that a priority. And that is reiterated. I went over that in some detail last week, so I'm moving on. Uh, 
Lastly, Paul pronounces a blessing. First, a blessing upon Timothy. The Lord be with your spirit. This is a personal word to Timothy, for the word your is singular. So he's speaking specifically to Timothy. The Lord be with your spirit. The Lord encourage your innermost being. Earlier in 2 Timothy, Paul wrote and said, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So in this blessing, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, may God give you that spirit of fearlessness, of power, and self-control or self-discipline. Timothy, may God enable you to stand up and to bear all that God has called you to do. These are his, his final words to Timothy. It's a prayer. May God bless you. May God move upon your own human spirit that is disquieted, that is unnerved, that is fearful as it thinks about the persecution and all the things that are mentioned earlier in, in the book of 2 Timothy. May God give you a fearlessness. May God give you power. May God give you self-control. And then he writes, grace be with you. Grace be with you. The you is plural. The your was singular. The you, the you is plural. So we move from Paul praising and saying to Timothy, may the Lord be with your spirit. Now he moves to the larger audience of all those who are reading the book of Second Timothy and says, and may grace be with you. For indeed, this book was not just a letter to Timothy. And this book was not just a letter to the Ephesians. But this book was a letter to God's people. And as such, it's a letter to us. And it is with the same intent that the letter is given to us. May God's grace be with us. May God's unmerited favor rest upon us. It's my hope and desire that having gone through this lengthy study of 2 Timothy, that you have experienced to some measure an increase in the grace of God, that, that, that you have come to realize in a deeper way how God is so good to us. How God ministers to us in undeserving ways. Not because of who we are, but often in spite of who we are. God is merciful. God is compassionate. 
May God's grace be with you. That's what we'd look forward to. And that's what our confidence is in this morning as we depart. What is our hope and expectation of the blessing of God? Answer, it's his grace. It's his grace. We can be so thankful this morning that we are the recipients of God's grace, not his justice. Not what we deserve, but what we don't deserve. May God's grace be with us all. Let's pray. Almighty God, we we thank you for your word, and I pray, O God, that we would see the truths that are contained in the book of 2 Timothy as not just thoughts that are applicable to the first century, but truths that are meaningful for us today. I'm thankful, O God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm thankful, O God, that the God of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God. You are the very same God. You who are the creator of the heavens and earth are the one who will be the creator of the new heavens and the new earth. O Lord, you are the God of our ancestors. You are the God of our descendants. We are thankful, O God, that there is no change, there's no regime, there's no coup, there's no takeover. But you will always be God. We thank you that your truth endures to every generation. That there'll never be a time uh, that your people are devoid of your truth. Lord, I am grateful for your faithfulness. And as I think of that great faithfulness, Lord, there's never a time that we are going to be in such a position that we do not stand in need of your grace. Thank you for being a gracious God. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin that we enjoy. Thank you for the the strength and the power and the self-control that you do give. Thank you that it comes from you. Lord, help us to seek more to have your spirit conform us into the image of Christ than through our own self-effort or work. Lord, there's responsibility to be sure. There are things that you have told us that we must do. But, O Lord, our ultimate hope and transformation is going to be when the Spirit of God does that ultimate and final and complete work. So, Lord, we long to be conformed more to the image of the Lord Jesus. We desire to be of greater witness and testimony and value. Lord, we desire to know you more fully and to honor you more completely. Help us, O God. Be with us. Give us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.